Noi discendiamo da una ininterrotta catena di assassini, il cui amore per uccidere era nel loro sangue come forse è nel nostro. Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, what's up? It's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures, on all the social media platforms. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Podcasts. If you like to support The Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. Not only do you get cool perks, but you make this podcast as well as the Cinemadness movie possible. All right, dude. It's still January. You know what that means. I do. It's more January giallo. And today we're talking about Sergio Martino, specifically his three-film collaboration with the stunning, you know, quintessential the giallo queen, Edward Fennec. Joining us today on the Cinematic Void podcast is a friend of the Void, a, I guess you, we could call you a frequent guest since you've been on more than anyone else at this point. Please welcome front man of Repulsion and, you know, one of my good friends and Giallo lover, Scott Carlson. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing great. We're three or four days into 2021 now and uh, so far so good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess it's an improvement at this juncture. I mean, anything's an improvement at this juncture. Uh, everyone that they've announced that died so far either is still alive or died last year. Oh, <laughs> dude, the MF Doom thing was fucking weird. Yeah, and then uh, uh, the guitar player from uh, Children of Bodom uh, died, but apparently he died like before the beginning, of, you know, like at the end of last year. And also uh, uh, Tanya Roberts, they yeah. said that she died but she's actually still alive. They pulled a Wings Hauser on her because, like, there's a big announcement that, like, Wings Hauser is dead and, like, all the tributes came in. I even did a Wings Hauser post. And then, like, it's like, nope, still alive. Wings is still with us. I told Dell he, when he announced, uh, you know, he sent me a uh, text saying that, you know, like, RIP Tanya Roberts. And I said, she lives forever in 4K, in Beastmaster 4K. <laughs> and then today, when uh, they said she was still alive, I'm like, I told you. <laughs> So this forever. Thanks to that 4K restoration of Beastmaster. I know we're supposed to be talking about Sergio Martino, but have you popped in that disc yet? I've looked at about five minutes of it, but uh, I just because I couldn't wait to see how good it looked. But uh, I'm saving it for uh, a rainy day. Yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. Like, I, I was, I, you know, when I got my Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday order, it just showed up. I didn't get any shipping notification. It just showed up in my door, and I'm like, this is eerie. They really knocked that um, last batch out of the park, man, that uh, uh, Don't Panic. That was pretty cool. 
and the packaging is great on that. And what that movie was, I'd never even, I didn't, I'd seen, uh, um, grave robbers. That one circulated quite a bit back in the old tape trading days. I don't know if I ever actually saw cemetery of terror, but it was around like on people's tape list, VHS list back in, back in the trading days. But, uh, don't panic. I think is a couple years later than those movies, or maybe or is it before? I think it's after. I never knew about that one, and uh, it was actually pretty fun. It, it's my favorite mexploitation. Nightmare on Elm Street meets Witchboard meets Evil Dead ripoff. Like I, I had a lot of fun. Plus, I love that weird kid in the fucking dinosaur pajamas. The whole movie. Yes, uh, with his. I went to uh, school with a kid that had a very similar curly mullet that looked a lot <laughs> like that kid, and uh, the dubbing. Especially his dubbing was fantastic. I've never actually been like hip to that d- dude's films until those Blu-rays came out, and like I actually I got Cemetery of Terror and um Don't Panic, and I actually went back and ordered Grave Robbers just based on those two. It's like now I'm all in. Do an episode on that guy's films. Well, yeah. Well, let's plan on doing that later this year because like let's let's digest them. But now we're gonna get into. One of my favorite, one of your favorite filmmakers, which is Sergio Martino and the Giallos he made. And we're just going to jump right into it and talk about his first Giallo, which came out in 1971. And it's The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. It was also released as Blade the Ripper, Next Victim, and just plain old Next. The film stars Edwidge Fennick, George Hilton, and Cheetah Aralaldi, who went on to produce films including McKelly Sovey's Cemetery Man, and last but certainly not least, the sleazy and sinister beast that is Ivan Razumov, which I, I love Ivan because he just elevates any movie, regardless of how ridiculous and not good the movie is. Ivan's always good, but this is an exceptional movie. And in this one, he has blonde hair, just so that, like, you know, there's a few different things that differentiate these films because uh, there are a lot of, um, you know, cast members that jump from film to film, but. There's the silver-haired uh, Ivan Rasimov, the blonde-haired Ivan Rasimov, and the like, sort of reddish-brown-haired Ivan Rasimov. Strange Vice was written by Eduardo Manzanos, Vitrio Canaroni, who also served as the second unit director, and this is one of the other, and he was also the second unit director on the other two films we're going to discuss in this block. And it was also written by Giallo superscribe Ernesto Gastaldi, it was produced by Sergio's brother and one-time boyfriend of Ed- Edwidge Fennick, Luciano Martino, and has a ripping score by Nora Orlandi, who was Italy's first female composer. And just to give you guys a background if you haven't seen this movie, which is a fucking shame, so you should actually pause this podcast, go watch it, and come back and then listen to it. Basically, Ambassador's wife discovers that one of the men in her life, either her husband, an ex-lover, or her current lover, may be a vicious serial killer. And... While the plot sounds pretty simple, I'm just going to go out of the gate and throw my hat in and just say, top three Giallo's ever made. Yeah, it's a great one, for sure. I mean, and it's one of the few uh, Sergio Martino Giallo's that is actually like a pure example of a Giallo. Like a lot of his other films sort of mix genres a little bit. Uh, This one is just a fucking Giallo and a magnificent one at that. Rewatching it, I forgot how many red herrings, twists, misdirections. It's like it is masterfully played. It's not confusing, which you know a lot of giallos tend to get a little confusing, convoluted in their logic. But this one is just—it's masterful, and it's like the reason why I say it's a top three giallo because I think it's the 
you know, when I think of Giallo and we take Argento, which is what everyone has in their head, I think this is like quintessentially what a Giallo should be and what it feels like and what it is. Absolutely. Argento has a lot of, you know, he's he's very stylish and uh, his early Giallos are extremely well written and plotted and executed everything about them the music i mean obviously the music is fucking incredible but uh sergio martino is no fucking slouch and um he doesn't have the stylish you know stylistic flourishes of argento but uh his films are every bit as good and maybe even a little better because they rely less on gimmicks and just are just straight up good fucking movies i agree with that i I will go on record and say, as much as I love Argento, we all love Argento, varies, varying degrees, I think Martino may be the, you know, I, I guess people are also say Mario Baba, but when I think Giallo, the first filmmaker I think of always is Sergio Martino. And it's basically, he had a run that no one else could really fuck with, starting with this film. Like, everything he made between now, or then, and like 75, even throwing some of the euro crime and comedies he slipped in here and there it's just it's just a solid track record in such a short period of time because he was cranking out some of these movies two a year <laughs> yeah there's like one year i think he made like three films i was looking uh it's pretty pretty crazy the first year i did january giallo which was back in 2017 i was doing i did three separate screenings in the spielberg theater i talked about this on the last episode but i just want to reiterate because this was one of the films i showed this was actually the closing night of year one january giallo i showed um harry guerrero's um 35 millimeter print it was faded but it still looked pretty good and i believe it was under the blade of the ripper title and it, it was an astonishing movie, and it was one of the best movie-going experience I had, especially in that little theater. Granted, there was a real change and that kind of stuff, but, like, it just reinforced how fucking good this movie is. Yeah. I remember buying the No Shame uh, DVD when Tower Records was going out of business for, like, three bucks, just piling up anything that was, you know, No Shame or... Blue Underground or whatever they had had left in there. And uh, I threw that one on one day and I was like, holy fuck, this is a good movie. It, You know, I, I we should give a poor one out for No Shame because it was it's kind of an underrated label that kind of got forgotten that put out a lot, a lot of Italian, you know, giallos, Eurocrime. A bunch of different stuff. A lot, basically a lot of Italian films. Yeah, I mean, they put out stuff that... I mean, the thing, the thing is like these... I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, the, the Polizia Tesco film. And uh, a lot of labels shy away from those because they just don't sell that well. They're not that popular outside, you know, outside of a sort of niche audience. So um, to see, you know, like uh, Alex Wang from Pungent Stench has a label called Cineploid. He's putting out almost exclusively uh, Polizia Tesco films. And... Uh, uh, no shame was like the first label and then blue underground got in on it too. Like they were sort of like those two labels. It was, there was just like open the floodgates on, on those films coming out in America. And you had like almost human and emergency squad and heroin busters and, um, all these, all these films, you know, gambling city. I can't even remember all the ones. I think that's a Martino one actually. There's also that other label Maya. Yeah, some of their Which stuff I, looked like you know twentieth generation VHS boots, uh, but you know I'll give them credit. Also, just I mean they should have maybe put some disclaimers on those 
boxes, but, um, you know, at least the fucking film exists, you know, on disc. So that was cool. Uh, but they did put out some really shit looking stuff. I, I think the only thing I had by them was their four flies on gray velvet, which I kind of question the legality of their release of that, at least here. And my, the most hilarious part about it is, there's a segment towards the end of the film. I actually screened this as uh, early on last year as one of the Cinemanus movies. Was there's just a section that just cuts the Italian dialogue. I I assume they just didn't have the audio, but there's no like warning that it's going to jump to Italian. So Mimsy Farmer just like, and this is at the 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 climax of the movie where she's explaining why she did what she did. It's all in Italian. And it's yeah. just like. All right, I guess. No subtitles. No subtitles. That's like. <laughs> they actually are responsible for releasing uh, the Scorpion with two tails on DVD. Like, Getting back to the strange vice of Mrs. Yeah. Ward. I love Martino movies, and like, if I was to pick a favorite Martino movie, I'd still go All the Colors of the Dark. But if I picked like what I think is a pure giallo that he made, I think this one's it. Which is why, in a top ten list, I'd probably have All the Colors above it. But in a giallo list, like what makes a giallo a giallo? Top three, maybe top two. I don't know. I gotta think about it. It's up there for sure. I mean, the thing is, I was thinking about like ranking these films uh, last night, and then uh, the only one that I knew was going to be at the bottom, I won't say right now, but um, the rest of them are all sort of like, you know, nine or ten out of ten for me. So. When we did the Fulci episode on his Giallos, we we came to this thing where it's like, at least for like the early 70s part of the Fulci stuff, like, a good portion of those would be in like the top 20, top 10. And then I feel like most of the Martino ones are in that same realm. Which, you know, it's it speaks to them both, because I think they ended up making the most interesting and like, consistent and well-made. Take away Dario Argento and Mario Baba. Yeah. But I kind of rank them above those. But I'm, I, I'll, if you want to send hate mail at Cinematic Void <laughs> on Instagram, at Cinematic underscore Void on Twitter, I will defend these cases. So, <laughs> but you know, eh, I I love this movie and like I can't stress it enough. And you know, I. By the way, did you pick up the Severn reissue that came out on Blu-ray? Uh, yes, I did, which has the soundtrack, which is cool. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, a couple of these films, I noticed when I was rewatching them, it's like uh, Sergio Martino really paints men out to be fucking slime bags. In this <laughs> film, like pretty much every, without spoiling too much, I, I mean, shame on you if you haven't already watched these movies and you're listening to a podcast about them. Like, uh, that's your fault. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, Every one of the men in her life uh, is basically fucking her over. Yeah. Film. And uh, there's another one that we'll get to, which uh, is very similar uh, as far as it's, you know, it's um, portrayal of men. Uh, but yeah, all the men in this movie are fucking scumbags, except for the uh, police. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> which is interesting, you know, uh, you know, if you know, uh, if you've watched enough of these films and read enough about them and know the, the you know, political um, background that was going on in Italy at the time these films were made. Interesting that the uh, cops are pretty trustworthy in this film, uh, but none of the other men are at all. They're all fucking dicks. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, besides that, that all the basically 95% of the male characters that appear in the movie are just pieces of shit. There's a lot of other things in here that kind of tie into, you know, a lot of other Giallo stuff. There's psychosexual stuff. There's definitely a kink thing with Fennec's, like, weird vice, as it were. Let's just say she's got a little Iggy Pop in her. <laughs> that's that's probably the, the, the tamest way to put it, if there ever was a way to put it. She likes to roll around in glass a little bit. You know, everyone's got different strokes, I guess, but... Oh man, but we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to talk about more Martino here on Cinematic Void Podcast, January Giallo Edition. Has been marked for terror by a killer who leaves no clues. Has no motives. Only an insatiable desire for strange. Devilish kicks. His perversion knows no limit until... <laughs> what strange vice pushed this man to beautiful women and their throats? Slowly. Silently. Almost as if he were not there, and yet... back we were talking about the giallo films of sergio martino on the cinematic void podcast with our friend scott carlson and we're moving on for his second collaboration with edwidge fennec it is your vice is a locked room and only i have the key because sergio loved his long ass fucking titles for his giallos it was also released as gently before she dies and i the black cat and also excite me the film of course stars edwidge fennec Anita Strindberg, who also appeared in The Antichrist and late in the game Giallo Murder Obsession, and also features a man who does what he does best, being a scumbag, Ivan Razumov, once again. I can't talk about that enough. I love Ivan. The film was also produced again by um, Martino's brother Luciano. It was co-written by Ernesto Gastaldi, and it's loosely based on Edgar Allan Poe's The Black Cat, and features a stunning score by Bruno Nicolai, who... I unfortunately butchered his name about 47 times in the previous podcast and kept confusing with Daria Nicolata's name. Sorry. I'm Well, he's dead. He can't get that mad at me. And for those of you who haven't seen it, a series of murders are committed near the estate of a degenerate author and his wife. That's all you need is a setup. And let's just get right off the bat with this. Italians love their adaptations of the Black Cat. Be it how loose it is. <laughs> uh, and this is perhaps... My favorite of all Black Cat adaptations, adaptations, I should say. I grew up on the uh, Corman one from uh, Tales of Terror. Uh -huh. But this one, uh, I've seen it a few times now, and uh, it's absolutely, 
totally fucking amazing ending to this film. Uh, there's a couple things about it that are really unsavory. Um, there's, there's, like all of the main characters are unnecessarily, I mean, it's always unnecessary, but they're like blatantly racist. Uh, and uh, it's, it's sort of off-putting. Uh, if, if there was anything redeemable about any of these characters, which there's not, um, it's ruined by the fact that they're all fucking racists. Um, but and it's a little, little weird the way that, that that's woven into the the dialogue. Uh, it makes you wonder why it's there. Uh, it's but you know it's of the time, whatever. That's one way of like you know brushing past it. But it's really ugly. And uh, is we were just talking about how all the men are scumbags in. Uh, Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, everyone's a fucking scumbag in this movie, except for the person who is the brunt of the racist dialogue. That's true. She's like the only, well, maybe some of the, you know, the, the hippies and shit that are hanging out. Let's talk about that for a second. The <laughs> film starts out, and you're like, okay, I'm watching a fucking Jallo. And uh, all of a sudden, you see Luigi Pastilli on the screen swigging some booze, and there's, uh, you know, tables with bottles all over the place um i can't remember if there's any jmb bottles in this one it's kind of weird because they're drinking a lot of wine but uh all of a sudden this hippie song breaks out and it's like the full song it's like a four minute sequence of hippies singing and dancing on tables and shit clapping and uh clearly uh, luigi pastilli is trying to uh you know <clears throat> reignite his uh youthful creative juices by you know hanging out with these young hippie types and shit but they're just like you know crowding into his uh parties at his you know dilapidated mansion and it's a pretty weird bit you're like where the fuck is this movie going and then all of a sudden the hippies leave and and then we're just dealing with nastiness yeah it, it is a pretty mean spirited movie and i'd say comparatively to um Mrs. Ward, the murders are even meaner and nastier. Mm. For sure. I don't, it, it's definitely totally different. And it's just, it, we've, we were, Nick and I just did the first part of our Umberto Lindsay podcast. And we ended up talking a lot about hippies when we talked about Oasis of Fear and the counterculture thing. I don't know if the Italians liked hippies <laughs> at this point. Yeah. It's hard to say if these guys like Sergio Martino were like, uh, we're into them or if it was just like a sort of like hey this is you know trying to be like hip and current or something uh although this is what like 1972 yeah and uh i mean i don't know we, we're probably getting a little past the hippie thing at this point but um they're still you know because in italy you had uh some kick-ass uh prog rock bands like yo boleto de bronzo um kicking around at this point they they weren't exactly hippies yeah it the thing, when we talk about Torso, more hippies, or at least counterculture-esque people, I'm, I'm kind of curious about it. Just like I've become curious of why the Italians shot so many movies in Florida in the late 80s, early 90s, why is there so many fucking hippies in these, like, post-hippie, like, era of, like, the 70s? Yeah, who knows, maybe the scripts were written, you know, two years before they actually got made. I don't know, maybe they were written two days before they got made. I'm not really <laughs> sure how, how that worked back then, but um, it is interesting, uh, and, and it totally um, catches you off guard, and you're not sure where where the fuck the movie's going until 
that scene sort of ends and we settle into the usual like um you know goose soaked misogyny and um you know dominance and submission uh, between the i said Irina, the character that um anita strindberg plays mm-hmm. and uh and luigi pastilli's um uh what's his name oliviero and he's you know he's just like uh sweaty all the time he's a little they both uh, are always a little sweaty and uh pasty looking and like they've they both they look like they've you know like they're on benders or something you know and and there's a lot of weird shit going on between them and for the longest time in the film you're pretty convinced that um you know anita strindberg's character is nothing more than a victim of his uh ego and and you know possibly she is she's driven to some pretty um you know she she gets uh, her own licks in towards the end of the film but early on you're just like uh this poor woman what she's putting up with the guy's like sleeping with the maid he's got a you know a little side trick down at the bookstore and uh and then he's then you know we, we get to the point where um edward fennick shows up and she's supposed to be his niece who he hasn't seen in a long time he doesn't recognize her so it's hard to say if she's just a grifter who is like coming in to do her thing or if she actually is his niece like what what does she show up for you know at that at that particular moment <laughs> you know it it's interesting because she was top billed in the movie but she doesn't show up until about half hour into the runtime and i think the movie's only like 90 minutes but she completely i mean the whole movie like shifts gears when she shows up and yeah. of course you know it's been mentioned many times She's playing more of a bad girl in this film than her usual little, you know, like a damsel in distress sort of character that she is a little bit more of in in Strange Vice and um, and the other uh, Jalo of Martino's that she's in. But, you know, this one, she's like a total conniving little badass and she sort of dominates everybody. You know, when she comes when she comes to stay at the house, she sort of takes over the house. It, it is different because, like, she is going to go against her giallo type. I think the only other time, at least in a giallo, where I think she kind of, like, shifted to not just be the um, victim, so to speak, is maybe, and funny enough, is strip nude for your killer because she's, like, doing detective work and, like, you know, she's not a victim. And I'm not trying to dismiss her in any of these movies for being the victim because, obviously, that there's a point to it because, you know, it, there's a bigger scope of what's going on with her because i i've seen people online kind of just miss her as just eye candy in these movies and i think she does a lot more and people should give her a lot more credit than just being like the beautiful giallo goddess when like she fucking kicks ass in all these movies yeah especially this one and at least we can we can't forget the famous still photo that always floats around her holding that cat (laughs) there's some funny shit in this movie too like uh uh, well, first of all, the title, you know, in, in Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, uh, Ivan Rasimov sends, sends um, what's her name, Julie Ward, sends her uh, a bouquet of flowers, and the note says, your vice is a locked room and only I have the key on the note that he sends her with the flowers, which makes me wonder when the other film, because the, the other note has an even longer Jalo title that they didn't use for a film title which uh, uh i wrote down it's uh 
The worst part of you is the best thing you've got, and it will always be mine. Jesus. I'm surprised that wasn't a Giallo knowing Martino, because, like, again, we, we talk about Torso, but let's be real, our Torso wasn't the real title of it. That was the U.S. title, but, like, he loved those long-ass fucking titles. I think... I don't even know what the shortest title is we're going to be talking about today. Torso! Torso. Unless, well, we're going to also talk about the Italian title, which is... Much, much longer. Although Torso kind of cuts to the point, literally. The longest title that I remember from, like, uh, you know, just from years of looking around at all this shit is a comedy that, I, it may have Edward Fennick in it, I've never seen the film. Uh, it's called The Inconsolable Widow, Widow, which is to thank all those who tried to console her. <laughs> <sighs> You know, it, it reminds me, I think it was in Hong Kong, the Jack Nicholson movie, As Good As It Gets, was released as Mr. Cat Poop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it. I, I'm a fan of, like, alternate titles and ridiculous titles. Because, like, when you think your vice is locked door and only I have the key, it's like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but I want to find out what that is. Yeah. I... I couldn't really find out. I don't know if this had much of a U.S. release, as far as I can tell. It probably did, but, like, I couldn't find much on it. I couldn't even find a trailer for this movie. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, it was never on my radar back in the old days. But, yeah, there's there's also uh, a, the first time of, of two where a milkman plays an uh, integral part in a Sergio Martino giallo. <laughs> like uh in this one we have dario the milkman who is also like a motocross racer who um floriana the um fennec fennec character has an affair with i mean she screws a lot of people in this film but um including anita strindberg um but uh yeah the milkman um uh, plays a part not once but we'll get to another milkman a little bit later who's even more entertaining than this guy Although when this guy like uh, wrecks his bike and it's pretty fun, he's a he's a nice little addition. I would say the vice in your vice is uh, booze and and um, money. It it is a pretty good black cat adaptation. I mean the ending is really fucking good. I mean the fact that like we didn't really talk about the ending, but um, so in this one. Uh, Rasimov has his hair dyed silver and he just sort of shows up out of nowhere and like he's like watching and then he delivers the uh, the dry cleaning package which has that dress like uh, uh, Luigi Pastilli's mom's dress that he gets mad anytime one of these chicks puts it on and they all wear it like the maid puts it on Anita Strindberg puts it on fucking uh Edwidge puts it on, and every time one of them puts it on, he gets a boner and has to fuck him. And then, uh, so then uh, you find out later on that Ivan Razumov has been conspiring with uh, Anita Strindberg, but then she like totally goes mean, bitch, and like pushes him off a cliff, which is an excellent dummy drop, by the way. Yeah. I mean, we could do these these episodes could get really long. You could kind of do one on each film because yeah. that. <laughs> There's there's another I can't what's the other one? See the more I talk about it I start remembering shit. There's another one of these movies that also has a crazy dummy drop. 
Yeah, all the colors of dark ends with a dummy drop too. That's the other thing. These movies, like I, they're like they're they're not easy to figure out. I mean, well, for one thing, they're they're really tightly plotted, so um, you kind of get like twisted up, like trying to figure out who's who. And and by the end of them, he they do a really good job. I don't know if this is. Um, Gastaldi or or Martino or possibly a combination of just the collaboration but all of these films like uh by the end you're like any one of these motherfuckers could be the killer maybe even the cop <laughs> but if if uh if if Hilton's in it you could pretty much guarantee he had something to fucking do with it. <laughs> I don't know what my vice is behind a locked door, but I do know we're going to take another break and we'll return more Sergio Martino, more Edward Finnick on the Cinematic Void Podcast. Unbearable suspense keeps you on the edge of an abyss of terror. Take a cold film odyssey into cinematness with Cinematic Void. Based in Los Angeles, Cinematic Void is a film series that specializes in horror and exploitation films. Currently, we are hosting Cinematic Void Up All Night in the Cinemanus Movie, a monthly virtual screening series, as well as the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we dive deeper into the world of cult cinema. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what we do, you can support Cinematic Void by joining our Patreon. Until next time, see you in the void. Hello, gentlemen of the road. Oh, oh God, look what's turned oh. up. My apologies, madam. I am happy to report that Lady Luck has smiled on me today. I hope it's a bottle of scotch. Not simply scotch, my Lancastrian friend. A mingling with the finest malts from the house of Justerini and Brooks. The names of no less than eight illustrious monarchs grace the label. Oh, a fine blend. Ah, yes, very good. Mm. I might even shoot down to the country for the weekend, do a spot of poaching. International elevators are up. Uh, you should take the Times, you know. Much better coverage. I say, Bertie, what's your golf handicap? No clubs, old boy. Mustache. Appointment with my tailor. J&B Rear. The Scotch. With a touch of class. Welcome back. We've been talking about the Giallos of Sergio Martino featuring Edward Fennick on the Cinematic Void podcast with our friend Scott Carlson. And now, this is going to be the last one for this set. I said Strange Vice and Mrs. Ward is probably my favorite, you know, straight-up giallo, but this is one of my favorite, one of my all-time favorite movies. It's All the Colors of Dark from 1972, a.k.a. They're Coming to Get You, and also known as Day of the Maniac. The film stars Edward Fennick, George Hilton, and everyone's favorite Italian villain, Ivan Razumov, and... You know, another giallo queen appears, Susan Scott, who was in things like Death Walks at Midnight, Death Walks in High Heels, and Death Carried a Cane. Basically, if Death was carrying or walking something, she was in it. The movie, once again, was produced by Luciano Martino and co-written by Ernesto Gastaldi and features another absolute banger of a soundtrack by Bruno Nicolai. And unlike the previous two films we've discussed, this film isn't your typical black glove killer giallo. It goes really hard into nightmarish psychedelic imagery and occultism. And for those of you who haven't seen it, shame on you first off, but it's a fucking masterpiece. I can't stress that enough. So here's a little plot just to set it up. Jane, played by Fennec, lives in London with Richard, her boyfriend, played by Hilton. 
When she was five, her mother was murdered, and she recently lost a baby in a car crash. So, lots of fucked up trauma leading into this. She's plagued by nightmares of a knife-wielding maniac with blue eyes, played by, you guessed it, Ivan Razumov. And she's trying to, like, get over this shit. So first she tries, like, vitamins, then her sister tries to make her go to a psychiatrist, and then someone recommends that she goes and participates in a black mass, because everyone knows the cure for trauma is satanic worship. (laughs) But... By doing so, kind of opens up a whole other can of worms of just weird, crazy, violent, and just nutso shit. And I should say that you and I actually hosted the Severin restoration of this at Beyond Fest a few years back. Proudly hosted. Like I said, one of my all-time favorites. And although I don't think this is like probably the most giallo giallo and i know we've had discussions where it's like is it really a giallo or not i think there's enough murder mystery weird shit in it that you can string it along in there somewhat but like i think this is an outstanding movie take you know besides like obviously nods that like rosemary's baby and like other things that were coming out like i don't want to say satanic panic because it was a little before that but there was definitely a lot of cultism in the early 70s cinema that was creeping in and this was no exception yeah it's it's great um it doesn't have uh the the killer sort of thing like you know a body count piling up but it does have like a jalo like score and cinematography and cast and it feels more like a jalo than it actually plays like one it almost even plays like one it just is missing all the all the murders and the it's not so much a mystery of like who done it but like you know how is this woman going to get out of this you know sort of like mental haze that she's in i think the only other giallo i can compare this to which is another one of my personal favorites is fulci's a lizard in women's skin just based on the nightmarish like psychedelia psychedelia that's going on yeah. with the imagery and like i think they would make a fucking impeccable double feature if someone wants to do that at home since we can't go to a theater yet, but like do yourself a favor. All the colors dark, lizard and women's skin, you will you'll thank us later. But I just love this movie because it's just it's so fucking weird, so fucking bonkers, and it just goes all in for all of it. The music is incredible. Um I didn't write down any notes on this one, but what is the guy's name that plays the cult leader? You know what? I gotta check because I always fucking forget that guy. <laughs> But he's great. He's got these like long, uh, pointed fingernails, and the whole, all the, all of the, uh, the scenes uh, in in the, um, in their little, you know, man, what little? It's a huge mansion that they live in, where they're having like these, you know, black masses. Is uh, those scenes are incredible, and the music is also um, great. Music plays a huge part in this movie because it's really the score is really psychedelic. Is his name J.P. McBain in the movie? I always forget. Yeah, so it's um Julian Ugarte was the yeah. cult leader. Not a familiar face uh, to me so much. I maybe have seen him somewhere, but I'm not yeah. sure where. It's weird because he's really good in it, but he's also surrounded by everyone else that's just like... I mean, he's outstanding at it, but like, you know, when I think of the villain, it's... You know, Ivan Razumov has that sneaky way with those blue contacts to kind of steal the movie from him. Even when he yeah. gets, even when he dies, pretty—I don't want to say early on—but he, his red herring gets smeared out pretty quickly. 
And the woman who plays the neighbor that uh, that takes her there in the first place is fantastic. The nightmare imagery is one thing, but like when you get to the black mass stuff and sort of like the repeated imagery kind of thing, it's you know, I'm trying to think when when did Don't Look Now come out? If Nick wants to cheat and tell us real yeah, quick, yeah. because some of it reminds me of that like the Julie Christie Donald Sutherland seventy three seventy three actually. So this came out first, so no correspondence there, but like. It's just, it's well edited, great cinematography, and, like, the fucking black, the, the black mask cult tag, or whatever it is, that weird, like, triangle inverted cross thing they all wear, like, the necklace and the tattoos and all that. I mean, I wouldn't got a fucking tattoo because of it. My I, wife and I have been talking about that for years. You should. I have three posters of that film in my house. <laughs> Different ones. I'm, I'm gonna tell you now, Scott, join the cult with me. It's great. <laughs> It's, it's a really outstanding film, and I think it, it does... It's not a straight-ahead giallo, so if you're looking for Black of Killers, it might not be your bag, but if you're wanting to see just an incredible, psyched-out, just insane nightmare, this movie, top-notch. I can't stress enough how much I like this movie. Have you ever heard the uh, the Cathedral song that, uh, that uses the... Um some of the music as the chorus yes i have i forget what it's called i know you would know better than i would since you <laughs> i wasn't in the band when they recorded that song so i won't remember the fucking name of it but um i played it quite a few times live it's a great wow. song all right get lee dorian on the phone he'll yeah. know what it is <laughs> but like that that's one thing i want to kind of talk about because like you know when we had you on the earlier last year for on the podcast when we were just talking about your career and like the you know movies and being in cathedral and repulsion was always your love of movies and how like both those bands kind of capitalized on a lot of that stuff and i feel like cathedral was maybe more euro horror centric probably because they lived in the uk yeah i mean lee and gaz are both like huge fans of uh of uh, italian giallo and horror and you know, we made a video way back in, like, 1993 where we actually contacted uh, Redemption. Lee knew uh, Nigel, I think his name, the guy that runs Redemption. Yeah. Um, and uh, we got permission from them to use footage from Tombs of the Blind Dead in our video. So we made this video. If you ever see the video for Cosmic Funeral, it has us dressed in robes and... Uh, it was supposed to tie in with the footage from Tombs of the Blind Dead, but in the end, uh, Redemption only had rights for Europe. And the video, we were signed to Columbia Records in New York at the time, so their legal team went through and were like, nope, you can't use any of this footage because you don't have the rights. So the video ended up having all of the Tombs of the Blind Dead footage stripped out of it. So now we just look like a bunch of fucking cunts in robes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could have just said you were just like, well, we're not going to use this, but we're going to use this public domain title called Revenge of Planet Ape. <laughs> right. Which, if you don't know, in the U.S., some clever exploitation distributor decided to take Tombs of the Blind Dead and put a very bullshit fucking intro at the beginning of it to make it to be a sequel to Planet of the Apes. That there's actually a clip on YouTube of this intro. I actually seen the print because Harry Guerrero owns a 35 millimeter print of um, Revenge of Planet Ape, and it's just like it's fucking stupid. 
they, which film is it? Is it Tombs of the Blind Dead or one of the yeah. other? It's the first one. It's Tombs of the Blind Dead. They sell it as, like, the whole intro just sells it as fucking Plan the Apes movie. And then it abandons it immediately. Because there's no other mention of it after that intro. And in fact, they keep referring to Templar Knights and Blind Dead. And <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous. This is why I love these movies. And I think this is why you love them too. It's just... Part of the fun is just how ridiculous these things can get. Now, speaking of ridiculous, here's a few of the taglines for All the Colors of the Dark. A blood-drenched nightmare from which you awaken too late. How's that grab you, Scott? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know if that sells it. Here's the next one. They exist. They bear the mark of the devil inside them. They may be your neighbors. They may be your wife, husband, sweetheart. They may even be your children. Their time has come. I don't know what the fuck they're trying to say with that. Well, it's a little more, uh, that was a little more, you know, sort of uh, related to the film, at least. Yeah, it's, it's at least in the ballpark. Here's this next one. They cannot be exercised from the world because their power has grown too strong. Their numbers too many. Yeah, if you want to play up the um, satanic cult side of the film, then yeah, that works. But isn't there like only 30 people in this cult? Who knows? <laughs> That's, that could just be one little coven, you know? That's true. A sect. Yeah. A sect. Or, um, I don't want to offend any witches out there. I don't know what you call them, but you know. Uh, yeah, who, there, there could be more. There could be in every neighborhood. Maybe that's just like that block. A block. <laughs> just that apartment building. Maybe that's not actually a mansion full of devil worshippers. It's just a uh, an apartment block. <laughs> and that's like the neighborhood watch meeting. Oh man, that that then all of a sudden it's like hot fuzz. <laughs> all right, one last one. Something is out there coming closer, closer, closer. Don't be afraid to be afraid. If it's Edwidge Finch, I'm all for it. <laughs> <laughs> These are, I. Not the not top notch. We were talking about the ones for eyeball, which were just ridiculously punny. These are just okay. You might not live to see the end. Is that from yeah. eyeball? That is that is a hundred percent an eyeball one. They were all <laughs> fucking eye violence puns. Mm -hmm. But all right, Scott, we're gonna take a one last break. But when we return, we're gonna do read, watch, and listen on the Cinematic Boy Podcast. <laughs> strikes in a blinding flash a flash of colors all the colors of the dark once you have seen this film every time you turn on your light you will turn on all the colors of the dark Welcome back. It's now time for on the Cinematic Void podcast, where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to. And since you're the guest, Scott, tell us what you've been reading, watching, and or listening to. Uh, reading, I'm reading a book right now called They Just Seem a Little Weird by a guy named Doug Broad. And it's a, uh, it's a book about um, Kiss... Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, and the band Stars, who are kind of more obscure. And so if you were a, you know, a young kid in the late 70s, those bands um, probably 
registered with you pretty pretty heavily. And uh, this guy wrote a book, sort of like tying all of their histories together, and um, a lot of you know shenanigans that happened. Uh, a lot of you know shared management, road crew, touring together. A lot of you know stories, and sort of you know telling for the first time the story of the band Stars, who you know everyone thought were going to be a huge band and um it didn't work out for them they had the right management they had shitloads of money behind them they had some pretty good songs great front man just didn't work out and i'm also looking at this book uh the bodies beneath by william fowler and vic pratt who works at um uh, the british film institute and it's called the the subtitle is the flip side of british film and television and it's just sort of talking about all the weird you know like you know we we have plenty here in America of made-for-TV movies and and films that slipped through the cracks and TV shows that were like totally bananas. And um, this is like the British version of all that. So that's pretty cool. Listening, I have been listening heavily to uh, Henrik Palm's Poverty Metal. Um, Henrik Palm was the guitarist in uh, the brilliant... Uh, in solitude from sweden sort of a um semi-gothic heavy metal band with a lot of like punk influences and um no wave and uh dark music influences uh woven into their sound brilliant band that broke up way too soon but henrik then uh was in ghost for a while playing bass in one of the nameless ghoul outfits and he switched to guitar for a while and then uh when he left ghost he went solo and has made two absolutely brilliant solo albums first one's called many days and the latest one that just came out recently is called poverty metal it's on spark records a uh, finnish label brilliant shit and i've also been listening to the soundtrack to uh heroin busters by goblin which is fucking awesome yeah heroin busters the other day and uh, I was like, God damn, this soundtrack is good. And I happened to have a copy of it and I pulled it out. And that's been on the turntable a lot, as well as uh, Record Store Day in Japan. is They've been putting out some crazy shit. And I just got uh, um, some stuff in the mail. All three blue, well, it's like Blues Creation, self-titled Blues Creation, Demon and Eleven Children, and the album that they made with Carmen Maki, as well as uh, Flower Traveling Band Anywhere and Flight Egg's um, farewell album, Goodbye. Japanese heavy rock from the early 70s, all of the stuff I'm talking about. And in Japan, when they do a Record Store Day reissue, they reproduce the texture on the cover, the OB strips, everything about it is immaculate. The, the paper feels like an original. It's almost like getting a mint <clears throat> original copy of a $3,000 record in your hand. And it's really cool. It's like so much, you know, Japanese often go the extra mile with this kind of stuff. And this is no exception. Their record store day releases are immaculate, highly recommended if you're into that kind of shit. And one last thing, watching. I recently have been watching Sergio Martino Jalos. Um, just to refresh my mind, but uh, what I'm about to dig into is the Criterion uh, release of Barry Lyndon, which is like on deck because I just watched uh, 
The Duelist, um, Ridley Scott's debut, directorial feature debut. And I uh, loved that. And um, in my online discussion about that film, uh, a lot of people were telling me I should revisit Barry Lyndon, which I haven't seen since I was too young to really um, probably understand its greatness. So I'm going to go back and revisit that. And uh, last but not least, Vinegar Syndrome's uh, Forgotten Gialli Volume 2, which uh, two of the films I've seen on Beat the Fuck VHS dupes years and years ago, um, The Girl in Room 2A. I never got around to picking up the uh, Mondo Macabro DVD of that. I always wanted to, and it went out of print before I managed to get a copy. And I've also seen the French Sex Murders. I've never seen My Dear Killer, but I'm looking forward to seeing all of them in these brand new 4K scans. Uh, so, And the artwork on both of the Forgotten Jolly boxes is really fucking awesome. I'm not sure who the artist is or I'd mention his name or her name, but, um, and the way the, the boxes, like the top pulls off, uh, you get this little like suction of air when you pull the top off. It's really fucking great. Um, those, the packaging on those is amazing. And vinegar syndrome is a label that I sort of early on wrote off as just like a label that just, you know, we're polishing turds. Um, and I think they kind of were to a certain extent, but they've actually started to acquire some really um, incredible stuff over the last couple of years. And um, not to take anything away from some of their early releases, like Raw Force, and there, there, there were some gems um, sprinkled yeah. in there. But like lately, they've been really consistent in producing, um, you know, stuff that that's really surprising. They're really stepping up their game. So those are the things I'm looking forward to watching next. Forgotten Jolly, Volume 2, and Barry Lyndon. A quick aside, I saw uh, I saw In Solitude play in Baltimore. Like, it, it must have been a decade ago at this point, right? But it was the middle of summer, Death Fest. And, like, had to have been 105 degrees outside. Singer, full fur coat, like, down to his fucking ankles. You know, just like, it is so fucking, everyone else is just covered in sweat, you know, and... They just rate. It was amazing. They were fucking killer. I actually got them on that show because they Death Breath was supposed to play that year, and uh, something happened with uh, Nick's um, scheduling, and um, um, we had to pull out. I was actually walking around the streets of Tokyo while all this was going down. I remember this distinctly. It was raining, and it was like uh, I was in um, Tokyo with Cathedral. And the band had already gone home, and I was uh, I was still there, um, just kind of wandering the streets, um, you know, looking at parks and stuff. And uh, I was texting with uh, with uh, Ryan from Maryland Death Fest, and he was like, "What am I supposed to do now, man? Like you guys pulled out, and because I was the only one that he could easily get a hold of, uh, I was sort of taking the brunt." Of that, you know, it's never good to cancel, especially when it's last minute. But you know, something came up with Nick; he couldn't do it. So uh, I said, "Hey, why don't you get in solitude to play because um, Ghost are playing?" And I, it, I assumed that like some of those guys were in Ghost. They weren't actually. They were a couple we're of roadieing for Ghost, um, <laughs> but they. I was I was under the false impression that a couple of the guys from In Solitude were in Ghost. So I told. Ryan, like, why don't you just 
you know, get in solitude because you've already got like probably half the band members or something are already there. You've only got to fly over like two people. He ended up getting them. It worked out really well and, and they filled in admirably. And um, yeah, I was really proud to sort of play a little part in getting that show because that was their American debut. Awesome. I was uh, I was definitely spreading the rumor that uh, that In Solitude was members of Ghost because they were sharing guitars and whatnot. Whether and you know obviously it's a convenience and whatever, but I don't know if that was really the case that there were any shared members at the time at least. You know. I figured it all out when um, when Ghost started playing and they they were using the same guitars that In Solitude used, but then I saw like the members of In Solitude like we're kind of roading for uh ghosts so i'm like oh it's not cool. actually good it's not they're not actually in the band that was before i got to know papa and we're yeah. friends now so but yeah back then uh, i still love in solitude i wish they would get back together because i think um they're one of the most brilliant like hard rock bands of the last 20 years right on all right, so uh, read, watch, listen. I guess I will start with music. Uh, been jamming some MF Doom, R.I.P. Uh, and the the newest uh, Jazz is Dead uh, with Adrian Young, Doug Karn, and Ali uh, Muhammad. I, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name. Reading-wise, I've been reading uh, Black Hole by Charles Burns. Actually, not been reading. I sat down and read it in one sitting because it's kind of short, but... It's it's a it's a thick graphic novel for sure, but it's kind of a if you're not familiar with Black Hole, it's kind of a Dazed and Confused meets David Cronenberg Rabbit or something like if you know, um, it's it's a weird one for sure. It's it's out there and, and highly worth checking out. It's super psychedelic. Um, yeah, uh, film wise, I just watched a couple of the uh, Michelangelo Antonioni films. I just saw uh, La Ventura. Uh, from 1960, uh, Blow Up from 66. La Ventura is really cool. Just like a, a, a woman goes missing on a on a kind of a yacht trip. Some folks uh, step out, step off the yacht onto an island. You know, some some bougie bougie folks go on a little trip, and uh, one of them just disappears. And the rest of the film, they're trying to figure out where she is. And there's some some love triangles and such going on. I don't know. It's super. It's worth checking out. It's like two and a half hours long or more. That's surprising worth, coming worth, from you. It's worth, <laughs> worth mentioning that it's super fucking long. <laughs> uh, I was going to say... Just blew it for me. Yeah, yeah nice. <laughs> I was going to say, because you're watching some Antonioni, they're, those they're, those two are some Giallo-esque they, stuff yes, in both of them. Exactly. exactly. Especially yeah. Blow Up. Definitely some Hitchcock meets Giallo, sort of, but like... And Antonioni has a totally different vibe in the way that it's less about the murder and more about, like, the, the people around. Also just watched Obsession, Brian De Palma, and uh, Dressed to Kill, which are both, again, just since we're talking about January Giallo stuff, just had, just want to watch those. And I just watched uh, your friend Talia Shire's film, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Old Boyfriends, written by Paul Schrader. Uh, have you, have you seen, have you I, guys I've, seen Old Boyfriends? I have not. Old Boyfriends is cool because... Okay, so she's she's like she's super sad and she wants to go catch up with old boyfriends, you know, kind of a high fidelity sort of thing or something, right? And when she's like on her way to catch up with them, she's kind of like talking to herself and going over it in her head, and it kind of seems like she's on her way to fucking go kill him. 
And like, it's if you watch it and you kind of think of it that way, like it shows everything but the murders. Like, it kind of gives it like a super sinister vibe, and it kind of it, it's it's dark and it really does feel that way. It's kind of it's 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 worth checking out. So that's it for me. All right. As for me, Reed, I got in the mail last week the a set of four zines called from it's called a Hellbore zine. It's um kind of like English um occult witchcraft. Um, First two, yeah, pretty cool. I I picked up I picked up all four because um the dude that I know that uh, um Dennis dreaded as Weird War posted about it. It's like well maybe I can just order from him and he doesn't sell them online so I had to just import them over from England and like those are some fantastic fucking zines like it. Yeah. It's been a while since I've gotten some of my hands. Like, goddamn, I'm inspired. I want to make something like this. They're really, really cool. I don't, I don't know how hard it's going to be getting shit from England since the whole Brexit thing is going through now. But well, snuck it I in there. Two in the mail. It looked like somebody fucking stood it up lengthwise and just fucking crushed it. It's uh, beat <laughs> the fuck. I don't have three or four. I didn't realize they were up to four. Yeah, yeah. three. But yeah, I discovered that zine like on uh, right when it came out. I bought issue one and uh then issue two just showed up beat like it's smashed i haven't read issue two yet but go ahead i just picked them all up because like they had i think they had a three pack of the first three and then they just dropped the yule issue which came out i think this past well yule um watch wise uh my wife and i watch a lot of riff tracks before we go to bed we just watched the giant spider invasion shout out to bill rubain in wisconsin one of the uh, how do you how do you describe Bill Rubain to someone that hasn't seen his films? The, the the cameras ran. We'll put it that way. But Giant Spider Evasion is completely stupid. Ridiculous giant spider thing. Rift Tracks definitely made it easier. Plus there's an appearance by the skipper. I've also been wa- going through a lot of my um, Vinegar Syndrome, um, Severn Films, Black Friday Orders. Uh, this batch... More Vinegar Syndrome than the Severn stuff. I've been saving a lot of stuff because it's a lot more darker and not stuff I want to watch late at night, like cutting moments, which I've seen, but I've been looking for the rewatch. So going to be probably putting that on sometime next week. But I watched Avenging Angel, which is the sequel to Angel because I needed more sleazy Hollywood Boulevard vigilante <laughs> prostitute in my life. Uh, I also rewatched not Vinegar Syndrome, but because I watched that, I ended up rewatching Vice Squad as my first movie on New Year's Day at about two in the morning. Because, god damn it, I just want to be in a sleazy Hollywood Boulevard without actually having to walk around it. <laughs> and also, shout out to Wings Hauser, who everyone thought was dead, but isn't. It's been a weird year for that. Um, I also watched The Incubus from Vinegar Syndrome that stars John Cassavetes, who looks tired as fuck all the entire movie. It's like he, he didn't sleep the entire production. It's just like... Well, he probably didn't, but like... It, it's... I don't know if I'd call The Incubus fun, but it, it's a nice little sleazy exploitation supernatural horror movie. And the last thing I watched, I actually cracked open the volume two of the Forgotten Gialli, and um, I hadn't seen it in a while, so I put on the French Sex Murders, which is beautiful trash. Barbara Boucher's in it for about five minutes. Howard Vernon's in it. Lots and lots of like Euro Euro stars are filled in this one, and nice and sleazy. That's all I gotta say. Nice and fucking sleazy, and another banger of a score by Bruno Nicolai. So. Definitely check that out. And listen-wise, I put on Poison Idea, Feel the Darkness for the first time, maybe in like a year. 
Sometimes I get in a punk kick. I've been kind of on that. A little bit of Born Against. Threw on some death metal records like um the last Bolt Thrower record and the last Hate Eternal record. And I was also listening to more Bruno Nicolai just because as you work on giallos and getting notes and preparing for all this stuff, you kind of want to set the tone. So been listening to a lot of that as well. But Scott, I want to thank you for joining us on this episode of the Cinematic Void Podcast. You're going to be back for our next episode where we talk more Martino. So until then, see you in the void.